Last weekend, as I was walking Ollie off leash, uh, a fellow dog walker with her dog on a lead asked, how did I know when my dog is ready to be taken off the lead and to be trusted in that way? Well, that actually got me thinking, and I actually remember the moment when we first took Ollie off the lead. He was, he was just a puppy, and we were tramping through the Marlborough Forest. Wendy and I had been talking about when was the right time to, you know, to try him off the lead. And so we're in the forest, and, and Wendy and I kind of look at each other, and, and uh, some unspoken words pass between us, and we realize that this is the moment. So with a bit of fear and trepidation, we let him off his lead and we just continue walking and then he runs off a little way down the path. And we were wondering, is this it? Is this the last time that we're going to see Ollie? And so we call him back, Ollie, 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 come on, boy. And he comes back with a big wag of the tail and us with a huge sigh of relief. Because from that moment on, we knew that if we took Ollie off the lead, that he would be faithful to come back. Now, I'm not a dog psychologist or anything, but I bet that a big part of the reason that Ollie came back, that he was faithful, was because we regularly fed him, we hugged him, we played with him, we walked him, we loved him. Ollie was faithful to us because we were faithful to him first. And we knew that if and when we called, that Ollie would respond in obedience. And that really gives us a beautiful picture of how faith works. You see, our faith is always rooted in God's prior faithfulness. God proves himself first worthy of our faith, and then we trust him. Romans 8 actually gets at this in verse 31. Um, It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. This is God uh, proving his faithfulness the first time round. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Then this is how the trust comes in. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Our trust in God stems from the fact that God first gave his son up for us on the cross, proving his incredible goodwill towards us, proving that he's worthy of our obedience. God's faithfulness is the rock-solid foundation of a life of faith. It's like when you see kids fighting. The teachers or the parents try to get to the bottom of who was responsible, right? Who started it is the question. He started it. She started it. This is the language we hear, right? Well, in regards to faithfulness, God started it. God was faithful first. We see this back in the book of Exodus, where God rescues the Israelites from 400 years of captivity. He sends 10 plagues on the Egyptians and God um, frees the slaves, leads the slaves out under Moses' leadership. He then saves these former slaves through the Red Sea and drowns their erstwhile captors in the same water. He provides water for the Israelites and quail and manna to eat. He provides rest for them by establishing the Sabbath. He rescues them from the hand of the Amalekites. And then only Only then, after all this, he establishes a covenant with them in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20. What's my point? My point is this. It's only 
after God proves his faithfulness to the Israelites over and over and over and over again, that he asks them to show their faith to him by receiving the Ten Commandments, a sort of memorandum of understanding of the relationship that they would have. He asks them to live by faith, but only after he has done everything he can to show them and prove to them how faithful he is. God was faithful first. We see so many ways that God is faithful to us. And being reminded of God's faithfulness is exactly the sort of thing that encourages us to be faith-filled in our response to him. If we know that we can trust God, then we will live out that trust in our lives. So here's three ways that we can see God's faithfulness. There's many, many more, but here are three from the scripture. First, we see God's faithfulness in in the way that he cleanses us from sin. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says this, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful There's that word, and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we see God's faithfulness to us in the way that he cleanses us from sin. Many times um, our guilty consciences stop us from seeking his forgiveness. But God is looking for any excuse to forgive us and cleanse us. Any excuse. Secondly, we see God's faithfulness in the way that he keeps us. First Thessalonians 5:23 says this, "May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it." So God is committed to your sanctification, not just partial, but through and through. He's more committed to your sanctification than you are. And here's the promise. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So when you've sinned or you've stumbled or you've fallen, if you failed God, then know that God himself is faithfully committed to making you holy And get back on your feet again. So God faithfully cleanses us. God faithfully keeps us. And uh, lastly, God faithfully commissions us. He sends us. Matthew chapter 28 says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped but some doubted. That's important. Then Jesus came to them, those who were worshiping and those who were doubting him, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's calling on all of us, starting from this moment, is to go and make disciples of all nations. But where do we see God's faithfulness in this? We see it in the fact that uh, after commissioning us, 
After commissioning them, Jesus promises us these words that surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I love that this commissioning from Jesus is given to a mixed bag of people. It says they worshipped, but some doubted. And this text tells us that our doubts do not preclude us or exclude us or excuse us from God's calling on our lives. God's commissioning takes place in the presence of doubt. And even if you doubt, this tells us that you can still give Jesus your yes because he is with you. And so we see uh, God's faithfulness in John 1.18, that, uh, John 1 verse 9, that he cleanses us. We see it in 1 Thessalonians 5, that he keeps us and we see God's faithfulness in Matthew 28, that he commissions us. Amen. It's incredible. Now, what I'd like to do now is to pause for a moment and hear from my friend Sharon about how she has personally experienced the faithfulness of God. Let's hear from Sharon. Is that any better? Had you turned it on? (laughs) Not even a touch. No, not even a tad. Not even a tad. That's okay, though. <laughs> the main thing is that is that we can see you and we can hear you, right? Okay, there, yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay, almost yeah. look angelic now. <laughs> I wouldn't go. That's that's yeah, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> in an ironic way, maybe. <laughs> so, um, when you first asked me this question, um, I was very glad that you were asking me about God's faithfulness and not my own because um, uh, God is is faithful. I, on the other hand, are often not. Um, And that's because um, I often can't see uh, the big, long-range picture. I'm stuck in the moment. The moment is terrible, uncomfortable, and mainly not going my way. Um, and that causes me great distress. And normally when that, that's the case, it's because I, um, I have ceased to have any faith. And uh, the faith being uh, to believe that God cares about me. Mm. Um, and so once I, I get to that point of insanity where I forget that God cares about me, uh, things spiral down. I'm chucking stuff for the dog. Um, mm. Things spiral down quite quickly. So this particular... Um, it's a really long range. God, God is in the long range uh, faithfulness. Um, and so often I can't see that, um, particularly uh, if, it's, if it's a very long time. So this particular uh, aspect of a struggle that I have uh, had has been going on for quite a few years. So I moved out to Oxford Mills, leaving the Gore um, seven, eight years ago now. And I've often wondered why, why I am out here. Like, um, it's very isolating for Cedar, um, and it kind of is a long way to drive to work. Um, I'm living in an old farmhouse, which I have no idea how to renovate or how to look after. And my questions to God would be, why, why, why? And um, so that's gone on for, for uh, many years. Um, and some of the struggle is uh, me being wrapped up in, in how 
you know, I thought my life should look like. Um, when I moved here, I moved here with Tim. Um, and uh, uh, Tim was sober and I had a dream. I had a dream that, that things couldn't get any worse than they had at that point because I moved from this from uh, a caravan in the back of Kim and Sean's garden to this house and I thought things couldn't get any worse than, than that and so I had a dream that everything was going to be uh, happily ever after and of course um, it, didn't, it didn't happen like that uh, the disease of alcoholism took over both of our lives and, um, and things just got considerably worse so so when I say like long range uh, it, I mean it, they were a terrible terrible few years but that has carried over for a, quite a while for me in, in looking at this house because Tim was very very capable of fixing this house up uh, and I am not <laughs> at all and like so, me. <laughs> uh, a bit of God's faithfulness just um Kind of blew me away the other day. I so I was just down by the uh, water, at the, well, the top of the hill, by the water, looking back up at the house, and with the snow and the pretty twinkling lights, because I haven't put put them away from Christmas. I was looking at the house, going, thinking how pretty it all, all looked, and then in my heart again, I was questioning God: Why am I here? Why am I so far from the gore? Why, uh, why, why, why? And, and why? Because Tim's not here to do the work. So why, why, why? And so that was a really big thing about my whys. And um, I just felt God say, I never bought that house for Tim. I bought the house for you. And... And that was blew me out of the park because um, I was like, oh, wow. And suddenly the perspective completely changed. Um, I don't need to worry about all of the things that need doing. I, I'll get to them. Mm. Um, I don't need... I can look at it and enjoy it instead of constantly I would be looking at it going, this needs doing, that needs doing. It's an old farmhouse. Um, mm. And during COVID, I have had a chance to spend some time here, a lot more time here, do some renovations and do, uh, and do some stuff and just kind of be in it and, and start to enjoy the house and start to enjoy Oxford Mills. Um, I live in a beautiful area and I'm very thankful. So, so just a different change of perspective and um, really speaking to God's faithfulness, like him, uh, he's never said that to me before through all my wives. So something in my heart must have been different that I was yeah. able to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, it's a long-term thing. So it's not really resolved because I'm still here and all the stuff needs doing, mm -hmm. but my perspective has changed and I am, not worried about it anymore. Awesome. And that's God's faithfulness. So I'm talking right in the midst of, of the trouble. And a lot of things I could have chosen something, Dan, to talk to you about where God was faithful to the end. 
Mm. Uh, this is, I'm still in the midst and hopefully we'll be in the midst of being in this house for many years to come. But who knows? I, I don't know. When life does not look like you expected it to look like, um, the wonderful thing about uh, having everything taken away and being destroyed is that you realize that you don't have any power. I am powerless and, mm. and uh, my self-sufficiency came crumbling down. Um, there was nothing I could do to get out of the mess that, that I was in and, and only through God's grace and mm. his faithfulness. And, and it's still the same today, even though things look much better than they did. Oh, and that eventually I would smile again and life is good. You know, I'm, I'm just really encouraged that uh, it was um, that it's a recent thing. It's a recent story that, you know, that you shared in your own voice. And, uh, you know, and that, uh, yeah, that, that it really is shining the glory onto God and his, his faithfulness, like you said, not your faithfulness. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pants, Dan. I'm really pants. <laughs> Last week, we looked at Hebrews 11, verse 1, and I said that we're all filling the library shelves of our lives with stories of faith. And you just heard one of the stories from Sharon's library. And so you're welcome to put that on your shelf along with your own stories of God's faithfulness. And as we tell and retell and share and borrow and lend out our stories of faith of God's faithfulness in keeping us, in cleansing us and commissioning us, our libraries grow. You could say that a summary of Sharon's story is Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23, which says this says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you feel encouraged by what Sharon said? Do you feel spurred on? Of course. And so let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Are you holding unswervingly to the hope that you profess? Are your knuckles white as you're holding on to God? You see, life wants to play chicken with you. Satan wants to play chicken with you. Your own sinful nature wants to play chicken with you. Life is barreling towards you. And the temptation is to pull off to the side of the road, to sideline yourself, to swerve. But the writer of Hebrews, just a few verses before the library of faith in Hebrews 11, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us to hold unswervingly to the hope. It, it, uh, it, um, tells us to stay the course, to not lose heart, to not chicken out from the life of faith that God has called us into. And the foundation of us holding unswervingly is this, because he who promised is faithful. How many of us, I wonder, can relate to the writer of uh, Lamentations uh, in chapter 3? says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. How many of us can 
relate to that? How often do we allow our regrets and our memories of wandering and our past failures to derail us, to cause us to swerve? How often do they lead us off this path that God has us on? But we're not done yet in Lamentations 3 because the next verse says this. Lamentations 3, 21 says this. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. When faced with a soul which is downcast because of the regrets of past wandering, we can say, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And the thing that we call to mind is not our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness, his great love and his unfailing compassion. We call it to mind, friends, that saying that we force ourselves to remember. We don't just float downstream, but we say, no, this isn't the whole picture. There's something else here. I have to remember. And you call to mind. You bring it back. You remember. You force yourself to remember God's faithfulness. And this is what empowers us and enables us to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. This is what allows us to beat life and Satan and our own sinful nature at their game of chicken. Because we realize that, hey, you know what? Jesus is in the driving seat. Jesus is steering this vehicle. He's the one in charge and he's faithful. We call it to mind and therefore we have hope. If you don't call it to mind, You won't have hope, but as you call God's faithfulness, his great love and his unfailing compassion to your mind, you will have hope. His faithfulness in cleansing us, his faithfulness in in keeping us, and his faithfulness in commissioning us. In commissioning us even though we doubt and promising to be with us until the very end of the age. His faithfulness gives us hope. He who promised is faithful, right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, for he who promised is faithful. We cannot hear that enough. He who promised is faithful. You you need to say it to yourself every day. Self, listen to this. That he who promised is faithful. And from this foundation of God's faithfulness, we are then ready to move beyond self-pity and regret and faithfulness and faithlessness into the world of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. As we consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You see, the life that is founded on the faithfulness of God is naturally orientated towards others. When Jesus is everything to us, we start planning and brainstorming and scheming how we can spur one another's on, one another on. Christ, through us, through our words and our example, starts encouraging others 
towards love and good deeds. Isn't that incredible to think that the words that you speak can have such an impact on others? So in our Zoom Church Forum 4 groups this week, we will be discussing the following questions uh, here. Read Lamentations 3 um, and identify the turning point in this passage. What does it mean to call to mind? Number two, share one story of God's faithfulness, either in cleansing you or keeping you or in commissioning you. And then number three, scheme. I love that word scheme. It so often sounds negative, but I just love it. Scheme one thing to do to spur someone you know onto love and and good deeds. Be creative. Think outside the box. Friends, isn't that what we need right now? Isn't that what our world needs? unswerving followers of Christ who are so convinced and convicted and assured of God's faithfulness that they are actively architecting strategies specifically with the intent of spurring others on towards love and good deeds. God's faithfulness leads them into a life of faith. You know, that's, that's an incredible goal, right? Not just to be good to others, but to spur them on to be good to others. We're talking exponential impact here, folks. And it all starts with trusting and believing that God is faithful, that God was faithful first, and because of God's faithfulness, that we are cleansed, we are kept, and we are commissioned. Let's pray. Lord, we often talk about faith like it's something that we lack. But Lord God, when we remember that our faith is rooted in your faithfulness, when we major on your faithfulness, how faithful you are and were and always will be, when we look at the stories of the Bible, when we look at the libraries on our, sh- uh, when we look at the books on the libraries of our lives, Lord God, when we revisit these stories and we tell and we borrow and we lend and we share, when we do all this, Lord God, um, we don't have to drum up faith. We don't have to, to uh, strain at faith, Lord. It naturally rises up. Why? Because we're focused on the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters as they're watching, as they're listening, Lord. Would you, through your faithfulness, show them how they can, how they can truly consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds, that they may live faithful lives because they serve a faithful God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.